my wife looked at me and said, are you willing to lose your job over this? And I said, I think, yes, I think this is on a short list of things that I would have been okay with losing my job over, standing up for civil rights and standing up for human rights, in my opinion. And, And she said, okay, I'll support you. Let's do this. The first thing to do to make change is to make noise. You need to speak up. You can't let it, you know, slide beneath the rug. You have to, you have to speak up. Signal is a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm your host and the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michalenko. Twice a month, we'll use this space to shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. We'll talk to guests who will help listeners navigate these perilous political waters by providing insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive routes. Christina Ellis is an 18-year-old African-Caribbean-American college student and activist. She was the former vice president of Central York High School's Panther Anti-Racist Union Student Club, better known as PARU. She and PARU worked together to reverse a book ban that the Central York School District placed on books and resources that promoted diversity and inclusion. Ben Hodge is a 20-year veteran of the classroom. He teaches acting classes at Central York High School and serves as the artistic director for the Central York Performing Arts Program. A staunch advocate of the diversity program in the Central York School District since 2006, he has focused primarily on diversity education, mediation, and social-emotional awareness. After the murder of George Floyd, he wanted to create a safe space where students could come together and have meaningful discussions around social justice initiatives outside of their regular classes. This is how the Panther Anti-Racist Union, which he founded, was born. Today I talked to Christina and Ben about how and why students and teachers must organize and mobilize themselves and the larger community to resist book bans and other reactionary right-wing assaults on public education. Hi, Christina. Hi, Ben. Welcome to The Signal. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. So in the summer of 2020, Central York School District's Diversity Committee put together a list of books and educational resources for teachers and students to use as the local community, like the rest of the country at the time, struggled to reconcile and make sense of the murder of George Floyd and the deep racial and social strife that ensued. However, the district's all-white right-wing school board believed Resources that were included in the list, like a Sesame Street town hall on racism and books such as Who is Rosa Parks and The Hate You Give, were just too subversive or inappropriate. And so they banned the entire list. However, something extraordinary, at least in my mind, happened. And students, teachers, community members, you all banded together and organized, mobilized and eventually overturned the book ban in a campaign that made local, national, and even international headlines. Now, Christina, you were a student at Central York at the time. In fact, in April 2022, you testified before Congress that, and you said, I quote, 
The reason I stood against my school district's book ban was because I didn't want future African-American kids to go through some of the things I went through growing up because of the lack of cultural sensitivity, cultural sensitivity in my schooling experience. Can you unpack that a little more for listeners and describe what your educational experience was like and what it was lacking? Of course. So growing up in K through 12 schooling, my family and I moved around the, the nation my entire K to 12. So I lived from in Virginia all the way to Idaho and in between. So whenever we get to, you know, the slavery units of social studies or the civil rights movement, it seemed to be a tense air within the classroom because I was sometimes the only black student within my social studies class. So a lot of students would just look at me, stare at me. The teacher would avoid eye contact as if we're talking about something taboo. And it made me feel really uncomfortable because when we talk about George Washington, there was no, you know, a mist around me. There was no one staring at me or any other kids and I didn't stare at anyone else. And so that made me feel very uncomfortable and it isolated me in a way from other peers. So when I say that this book ban was horrible because if you're banning these books that highlight diversity and highlight people who look like African-American students and minority students, that just raises that bar of isolation even more. And I didn't want that to happen for, for future kids. Christina, yours and your classmates' youth and education are essentially collateral damage right now in the rights culture war that they're waging on public education. How has this impacted you on a personal level? Because I can tell you from my experience, you know, and I'm obviously decades older than you, but when I was a kid, like I, I don't remember having to kind of deal with this. And, and essentially, I, I feel like your generation is almost forced to grow up a little quicker um, and kind of like assume the responsibility as citizens uh, faster than people in my generation had to do. That's a great question. And honestly, I haven't really given much thought into you know, how this affected me personally, because honestly, like you said, like we just jumped into it. We didn't really think about it. We just knew that it was the right thing to do. And I think that's kind of something special about my generation is that a lot of us kind of just assume this role of let me help others and help the future. And I think it's something really special about us. But if as far as my, myself personally, I don't really think of myself when I'm, you know, out in the community and helping others, because I want everyone to have a life of equality and inclusion. And so um, personally, I don't really tend to think of myself that has a downside because activism burnout is real. Um, there were times where our group within Peru, our, our board got burnt out and we had to take a step back at times, even when we really didn't want to. Um, Mr. Hodge can attest, like us as students, like we really wanted to be there, but sometimes we just physically and mentally could not be there. And it's not fair for us to be there halfway. We should, you know, allow ourselves to rest, recharge and be there hundred percent. Cause that's what, you know, the people that, that, you know, rely on us to speak up need someone who's there hundred percent. Thank you, Christina. Um, ben, yourself, um, Patricia Jackson, uh, you know, other staff have been really proactive in being allies to the students, kind of being mentors to them um, as they, organize and uh, kind of develop their resistance to this book banning. I was wondering, have you gotten any pushback from administration or any blowback for being part of this resistance? 
Um, yeah, that's a great question. I can say that um, what I saw and what I have seen um, is I would say that my principals and other faculty members um, at the high school where I'm at 24, you know, where I'm at most of the time would, would be coming down and giving fist bumps or coming to my door and poking their head in and saying, keep up the good work. And so kind of like under, you know, quietly letting us know that there was support um, even from some of the administrative staff at the time. I can say that uh, later on there were investigations into myself and Patty Jackson um, and they came back unfounded. Um, and we'd had right to no requests filed. I had like three right to no requests filed against me to try to prove that um, I was colluding somehow with the school district and using school time to organize and put these events together, which once again came back unfounded. Um, and so, you know, I think in the national debate and conversation around these issues. Um, Patty and I are different from some of the other educators that have ended up losing their jobs or resigning or getting pushed out for whatever reason, uh, because I believe that we were one of the groups that really worked together to be a union. And we were students, we were families, and we were teachers together. Um, so I believe that made it a little bit harder uh, for them to find anything as well as uh, to have everything come back. It wasn't just like two rogue teachers, um, you know, doing things on their own and then suddenly bringing kids in um, and to help protect them. It was something that had been a part of the original process of the formation of the Panther Anti-Racist Union in 2020. Um, I have seen comments and, you know, been called lots of names and I think elitist was last year. Um, I've been called elitist. I've been called a weaponizer of children. I've been called uh, a groomer multiple times. I've been called an indoctrinator, of course. You know all of these phrases. Um, and it's somewhat laughable in the sense because when you talk to students and people um, in our district who really know me and know Patty, uh, we couldn't be further from those terms. So I think they've had some trouble with letting those words stick on us. Um, and I think it's also greatly unfair to to be labeling teachers and educators that those words. Um, and quite frankly, they don't scare me. Those words don't scare me because I know that's not who I am. Um, I'm an educator and I'm a human being. Um, and I'm a proud American too. So they can call me a Marxist all they want. Um, I know who I am. I mean, but was, was there fear among teachers about losing their jobs if they were to speak out? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the other part of the conversation that I tell some people when it comes up is, I mean, it's not every, I've been teaching 20 years and I've never sat down with my wife who um, is my partner and best friend. And we talk about everything. And I've never in 20 years sat down with her and said, you know, this is what I'd like to do. Here's what, when this was all going down. And my wife looked at me and said, you know, 
are you willing to lose your job over this? And I said, I think, I, yes, I think this is on a short list of things that I would have been okay with losing my job over. Um, standing up for civil rights and standing up for human rights, in my opinion. And and she said, okay, I'll support you. Let's do this. And, and there was a time when I wanted to leave and I wanted to get out. If I'm being honest, where I was like, I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was, I'm, I didn't want to get a paycheck from this place that was doing these things. So I, I think, I, I would think that resonates with a lot of educators. I understand the temptation and the pull to get out. Um, it's not an easy time to be an educator right now. And my wife, once again, looked at me and said, you know, Ben, if you leave, they win. And she knows that I'm stubborn enough um, and that when I heard that and she knows me better than anybody and knew that if I would have left that it was never serious that I was going to leave, but it certainly, I felt it. I thought it a lot of times. And so, you know, yes, there were, there's fear of that. And I think to a certain extent, we're still looking over our shoulder, um, waiting for the next thing. I know we're being, you know, watched and they're, in, and I don't mean that in a creepy way. I mean that where the eyes are on us in terms of like waiting for something to happen so that they could swoop in and say, see, this is why. Um, but I'm very thankful that I've been able, we've been able to keep our job up to this point. But yes, there is a fear definitely of looking over your shoulder as to what are they going to do? What's the response about this going to be? You have to really handle your business as an educator and keep all, you know, show up early, get to your meetings do all the right things. So don't give the, the administration or the school uh, an excuse to say, well, you've been missing your meetings or something, whatever, and give them a reason to, um, to get rid of you. I want to talk a little bit about what the organizing actually looked like on the ground. Uh, we could start with you, Ben, and then Christina, um, you could jump in afterwards, um, you know, because obviously you had different roles as both students and teachers. Obviously, you were kind of working together and then just working out to kind of like involve the community. So from your end, Ben, to start us off, like what did that look like? What were some of the things that um, you were doing to kind of mobilize teachers and, and staff and, and, and get them on board? Yeah, the, one of the first things I did was um, when somebody came to me and said we need to do it was a teacher also that said I had students say we need to do something. And then I had teachers that were also saying, you know, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's let's put a rally together. And so over the weekend, um, I treated it like it was a, a theater performance or like a showcase performance, so to speak, and used the organizational skills that I've uh, built over the years as a director and, you know, and also a teacher and just laid out a plan of a schedule, basically lesson planned. What would a four o'clock to five thirty event look like, which is essentially what they were. We wanted, I didn't want it to be more than two hours. I wanted it to be a nice tight hour, you know, hour and a half, you know, what, and then I started thinking about who can we get to speak at these? And I initially went, okay, students need to be at the front and center of this. So we were using the original members of Peru at that point, um, as well as friends of Peru, alumni. I, I asked some spoken word artists that I knew and just kind of put together a group of people who were at that first one who were interested and willing to speak. I contacted some parents and community members who I knew were on the side of 
what we were standing up against and scheduled them. And I did require to con help control and set that narrative to make sure that the narrative was in line with what the message of what we were doing. I required speakers to share their speech or their uh, what they were planning on reading, if it was a poem or whatever, with me ahead of time as the rally you know, coordinator, just to make sure. And I didn't really do anything with those. Everybody got in, basically. But I wanted to make sure that we weren't going to have anybody going off and just improvising at these things. So I could have a better understanding of that, which I do think was an important thing. And by the time we moved into the students, I'll let Christina talk about that, where by the time we did a couple of those community-wide protests and rallies, and it was always in line with before school board meetings um, and always, I, you know, I'm a fan of keeping things nice and tight in terms of a nice hour long thing. Uh, hold signs for 30 minutes and then that final 30 minutes leading into um, leading into the uh, board meeting, really that's when you turn on the, that's when you get the speakers. And as those rallies continued, we got more and more interest from the NAACP, YWCA, local organizations were starting to ask and say, hey, can we speak? And of course, uh, I would love, I, I love that and wanted other people to speak. Um, and of, of course, at that point, Peru had, you know, the, the Christina and Renee and, and Ida and um, Olivia um, began speaking a lot more. Um, I used to push Chrissy out and say, it's your turn to go speak. And uh, I'll let Chrissy talk about that. But it was it was time for the students to, to speak. So less about me as the rally coordinator and more about the community. That's a really huge part of this, but also being mindful about setting and controlling that narrative so that there are no surprises on the signs. There's no surprise surprises from the speeches as much as you can help it. There's always a sense of freedom and, and off the cuff comments that sometimes come in. Uh, but as a whole, really trying to make sure that the event was about the narrative, which was put the books back or reverse the ban or, I mean, giving those community members that information, using social media to get people interested. And that's really how it, it started. And, and Christina, before we jump um, into your side of the organizing, uh, could you um, could one or both of you just kind of explain uh, what Peru is, the Panther Anti-Racist Union? I believe, Ben, you founded it. And Christina, you were a former, you were a vice president of Peru while you were there. So, you know, maybe, Ben, just give us a thumb sketch. And then, Christina, maybe you could just kind of like give us the student perspective of, you know, what Peru meant to you as a, as a student and as a vice president and member of it. Yeah, so the Panther Anti-Racist Union was a group that was uh, I founded as a, an action step to after the murder of George Floyd as something that I felt pretty strongly needed to be done. I looked around the school and didn't see a space for people to come in and talk about these issues that we were all dealing with um, in our country and way before this, but after the murder of George Floyd. And so uh, it has... A couple goals. The first goal is to use art um, and to uh, art and poetry and theatrical expression and music to uh, have students share stories and to share their feelings as it pertains to them using creative expression. Uh, provide a courageous and safe space for people to come in and have conversations about tough issues. 
Um, and then our third, uh, third goal is to um, educate people in the community, not only the people in the club, but also others about things like microaggressions and other anti-racist ideas that are really important and needed to be talked about. And finally, the fourth, our, the fourth goal of Peru was to uh, go into what we called activism mode when needed. Um, and when there was activism that needed to be done or advocacy for a particular group, that we had that in our original goal um, in order to, so that it wasn't just a group of people just talking and sitting around and, you know, another club just to go sit and get time. There was also an action step item um, that uh, Chrissy can tell you we kind of were thrown into before we even got to do one through three. We were moving into our, our fourth goal after we had, we had literally just finished setting those goals and we were, we were into activism mode. So that's what the, really the club's about. It's a courageous space where people can come in and talk about things uh, as it pertains to um, anti-racism and stuff that's going on in their lives in a safe and a courageous space where they're not going to be judged and looked at weird and hopefully get some learning and, and some, some truth. Yeah, and for the student perspective, I just pulled up our document that is our Peru uh, group goals and our Peru statement of beliefs, aka our mission statement. And two of those goals deal with creating space. And as Mr. Hodge was talking about, he mentioned space a lot. And that was something very crucial needed within the high school, even within the district, right? We're still, the, the Panther Anti-Racist Union at the middle school is something that we need to have space for students. When my family and I moved to Central York District, it was, you know, this school was had a reputation of being very diverse and inclusive, yet this book ban happened. So that really contradicts that whole statement of that we welcome everyone when you ban 300 books of people who look like me, right? So in terms of being the former vice president of Peru and in terms of what, you know, Peru means to me, it was a place to go, a space, as we talk about, to go for students to to share, to create, to build, and to have human connection, to have those 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 bonds that are really truly needed within a community. Um, being in school it can be hard, especially coming out of COVID. You right, a lot of students miss that that interaction with students, miss that building those bonds. But at the end of the day, during flexes, what we call it, kind of like a study hall, is when kids went to create art and to speak on things that are on their mind. It was a sp safe space to be right, to be wrong. It didn't matter if you had questions about something. You were able to learn how to construct a com uh, a question, how to not be offensive when speaking on things you don't know about and how to, to, to learn from other culture, from other people, because it's very important. And something that's very important and very imperative, now leaving high school and now into college, I see how important a Panther anti-racist union is needed for students to high schoolers, because here you go from a school where the population is very much the same, the, di the demographics are much the same, and then you go off to college. And you meet a lot of people who are not like you. You need to learn how to, to be able to immerse yourself into different spaces. So I think a Panther anti-racist union for Central was needed, but honestly, anywhere, any school district needs a place where people who are not like each other can come and can be the melting pot that we call America. Christina, can you talk a little bit about what the you know day-to-day -day organizing looked like? for you and other student organizers reaching out to student other students in the high school to kind of get them you know involved and engaged in this campaign 
Yeah. So when the the news of the the book ban brought uh, was brought up uh, to life was through a local news source that um, dropped an article and we all read it. And so from there, Ida, who was the former president of the Panther Anti-Racist Union, texted me the link to the article. I read it. I was angry. I had my dramatic moment. I'm theater kid, so I had a very dramatic moment reading it and was shocked and angry and all these things. And then I went to my sister. I said, we're doing something. And my sister is the, now the current president for this school year. And she's very calm and cool and collected and very chill and mellow. And I'm not that at all. So she was like, oh, okay. You know, what do we do? I'm like, we're going to be there. We're going to, she goes, oh, we're going to, wow, we are. And she's not really, but I kind of dragged her along. And then from there, we started, you know, a conversation between Mr. Hodge, Miss Jackson, myself, Olivia, Ida, and my sister. And we, we sat on a Zoom call and we're like, what are we going to do? Because Ida had talked to uh, Mr. Hodge, was like, "What should we do?" And then, and Mr. Hodge turned back and said, "You know, what are you going to do?" And from there, that's when we started thinking about we're going to we're going to start to protest. And so that weekend, my sister and I were in our basement and we're in our garage making the signs for the, our protest. We had brought down a list of we wanted to be a silent protest. The only thing that was making noise was our signs. The words on the signs are what we meant by we talked about controlling the narrative. That was something very important. We did not want the message to be misconstrued, to be lost, because we had a point. We wanted the books back. We wanted to raise awareness to this injustice. Um, And then we had to make a time. And the time was in the morning before school. So nothing was disrupted. No lesson plans or anything was disrupted. And we had to get the word out. So social media, that's literally all my generation uses to communicate with each other. So we pushed out Instagram, Snapchat, you Twitter, you named it, we did it. Like we pushed out, be here at the high school at this time. We have pre-made signs come in. We told them what to do, what to expect and how to execute the plan. And we did that every single morning before school until we finally got noise. And then when we got noise back from the district, basically saying like we stand by our original statement of this book ban. We just kept on going and kept on going until the book ban was reversed. But that meant that we got, you know, 75 to 80 plus high schoolers up early in the morning, which is hard because we all like to sleep in and we got them to the high school with a mission. And that was something powerful in itself because we gathered together as a community and it was really nice to see parents would drive their drop their kids off and would honk their horn in support of us. So we we had parents approval, we had the community approval. It was something bigger than ourselves, and it was much needed reassurance that we were doing the right thing. This really blew up within like the media. Did you guys have a media strategy, and could you talk a little bit about this, or was this just organic? In our original meeting, none of us mentioned anything about CNN or Fox or even our local Channel 7, nothing of the sort. That was never, ever, ever, ever something that even crossed our minds. So we were doing this to get the uh, the attention of our, like our, our school board, never the attention of the media. The media came in and just helped just boost our story and boost our, our 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 situation, which really truly helped because it brought people who were not really too in tune with what's happening at the district, within our district, to say, "Hey, what's going on at the school I pay taxes for?" It was something that really helped to bring together the community. So we never had a media strategy. The only media strategy we had was to share with our our protesting plans with fellow students. I, I I think even like 
the Guardian in the United Kingdom and in England actually covered your protest. So you really made, you know, global headlines. Um, do you feel like that really kind of swung the momentum in the movement's favor? Do you want to answer that one, Mr. Hodge? Yeah, I, I would say, I think that still to this day, as we're talking about that, like when you mentioned the guardian and we had an interview with a Japanese uh, a reporter uh, back a, a while back and, when you say that, like it, it doesn't read. It still doesn't register. I know it doesn't register to me, and I, I think we're all sitting here going because Christine is right. Like we've said this all along that we put the idea together, and we were just trying to be doing the right thing and getting people out there. And the questions we were asking were that I was getting as an advisor, as their advisor was, what happened, Mr. Hodge, what happens if nobody shows up? And I was like, well, if it's the four of us and two people, that's six people at this school who are standing up for what's right. And, you know, when it ended up being 80, 70 to 80 people, I think the local news catching it first, um, there were some really solid reporting from the education reporter from the dispatch and I think they kept reporting it. And I think, I don't know very much about news cycles, but as it continued to stay in the news and they decided it was more newsworthy, and then the other the other news organizations started to jump on board as well. Um, I do think the, and then because of that local reporting, we were able to get the CNN report um, and couldn't believe that. And then once the CNN uh article or the CNN report went out, that's when we started to see the New York Times and the Post and the Guardian and other places. So it really, you know, to be honest, there wasn't, again, Christine is right, there was really no media strategy. But I do think that the strategy for other students and schools that are dealing with this, I think you do have to be um, resilient and uh, have the endurance to to get out there every morning. I think that's why these uh, news organizations were so interested in the story. It wasn't a one-off walkout protest and then move on with the rest of your life. These were This was a bunch of kids, and even currently the protest we're in right now is we are out there until we see the change that we want to. And I think that registers to the news media maybe like whoa these people are really serious and i think that played a role in it so if I, if I could say anything to your listeners who might be in a situation like this that you must be committed like this group was and is committed to continuing to do this uh, until there's at least a conversation or until there's some movement until they hear us um, you have to be committed to go out there. And I think just some organizations, enough organizations picked it up and that's how it became that way. So, so Ben, you just mentioned the struggle that you're in now. So you initially kind of won and reversed the book ban, you know, education one, right? Uh, civil rights one. But now we see the school board um, is back at it again and they're targeting more books. Can you can and two have been banned so far, I believe. Push by Sapphire and Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah Mass. Could you kind of give us a quick update about, you know, why this has resurfaced and what's happening right now? 
Yeah, I think as my uh, friend Patty says, uh, she says the your enemy is just going to get smarter uh, as they learned. And I think what happened was uh, we ended up not knowing that anything was going on. We were in our uh, education mode as a club and we were doing some really great initiatives. Renee, President Ellis, uh, Renee Ellis had been doing, we've been doing a lot of great stuff with book drives and um, you know, activism in the, uh, uh, and support in the community. And, you know, in March, we see uh, um, somebody sends me a Facebook post uh, from a, a very far right wing uh, Facebook post basically saying, I think it's Take Back Our Schools PA or something like that. And um, in it, it said that, you know, congrats and named this person uh, from the district who apparently challenged the material. Um, and for getting push out of the library, it's a dirty, awful book, blah, blah, blah. And so we were like, wait, what? And that set off fact checking mode, which we've learned through the King Center to when hearing about things like this to go before you start jumping into a protest and or reaction to really go into a fact checking mode and try to figure out what's going on. So we were in three weeks of fact checking. And looking up this story and trying to figure it out, talking to people in the, within the district, and it comes to find out that this book had been removed in November of 2022. The so story was even worse than what we thought. Uh, it wasn't like something that was done in March. It was something that had been done in November, quietly, under the, um, without anybody, without any transparency. Um, and they had removed those two books from the library using a policy that was uh, policy 105.4 in Pennsylvania, which is for curriculum in-class materials, not not library books. And so we pushed back and started to have conversations. Um, and basically, uh, the books were removed because there was, quote, unquote, no literary value to either of those two books um, that a committee found to, to, to have that happen. Um, so you know, that's where we're at right now. The books are still removed. Um, and there's news about this that they eventually the district comes out and says that they didn't use the right policy. Uh, the policy wasn't finished yet for 109, which relates to library materials. Um, and they want to rework that policy until they can, quote, get it right. And but the books are still out. So the kids were saying, and we would agree, Peru, pretty strongly that if you're admitting that you used the faulty policy to remove those two books uh, based off of one parent's complaint, then you should probably put the books back in until you get the new policy fixed. So I can say there has been movement in the good direction with this because of the protests and because of the comments of the students at the school board. Um, the district, uh, the administration has, uh, has changed the policy 109 so that a parent, it, it's hopefully going to be voted on, that a parent can't uh, remove a book from a library, but they can challenge it so that they can get it onto a list for their kids so that their kid won't be able to read it. But it will not deny access for everybody else, especially for books that were grandfathered already in. And Push and Court of Mist and Fury were grandfathered in. They were they were not, they were, they'd been in the library for 10 years or, you know, 12 years before that. So there was no reason to start going down the road of pulling books off the library like we're seeing in other places. And, you know, I'm firmly saying too that, you know, people will say, well, well, Mr. Hodge, well, Ben, this is, 
this is not 300 books, diverse materials like in 2020. And I would say, yes, that's correct. But it's two books. And we all know that what we're dealing with is once you give two books to people, then it's going to become 20 and 30 and 40 and 50. And the next thing you know, it's like what it is in Florida and you've got school districts and even in Central Bucks, I believe. Now you've got full shadow bands of hundreds of books that have gone missing from the public library, from the school library shelves because they are pulling them off the shelves. And we weren't going to have that. We're smart. We understand that if it starts with two, they're going to keep coming until there's nothing left. Yeah. Central Bucks recently just pulled um, two books. And then in Penridge School District, which is just up the road, that's where they were shadow banning and kind of pulling things without letting the public know checking books out um, for an entire year by staff and faculty. So let me just end this with a question for each of you. Um, First, Ben, and then we'll end with Christina. Um, Ben, can you give teachers in Bucks County who are kind of facing the same kind of issues that you guys are in Central York, um, can you give them some advice about organizing resistance moving forward? Well, the first thing I would say is I, you are not alone. Uh, all my Central Bucks, Penridge, and educators world uh, nationwide who are dealing with this, I, I really want to say that you're not alone and that we need, we are stronger together. And I also would say to you, advice-wise, would be that I think you have to be willing to to leave everything out there. So it th- this fight may not be for everybody. I do I want to honor the fact that it is hard and it is scary and you're entering into a place where you are going to be stepping up. If you are a white teacher like myself, um especially if you're a white teacher, you are going to be stepping out of your comfort zone and your privilege. Um, and I, I would highly suggest and encourage you that um, it is a beautiful thing when you can learn how to spend your privilege uh, for those that do not have a voice and do not have that same privilege. So this is my open call to my, my white brothers and sisters as teachers um, that 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 you need to get in and use your privilege and spend it, as Dr. Patina Love uh, has told us many times, is to get out there and spend your privilege if you have it. And um, and I don't want to make that sound any you know weird or you know some sort of propaganda kind of thing. I just mean that those of you who hear that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You will end up losing something from this and you could possibly end up losing at the very least some status and you might get some dirty looks and you might get some situations where you might get some pushback on it. Um, so, but if you're, if your ducks are in a row and you're, you're not low hanging fruit as an educator you handle your business and you're well-liked and you're well-respected in your community and you're tenured and you have those things and you're union-backed and you have things and that power and that privilege in your space, use it. Use it for to support um, standing up and, and, and organizing. I would advise strongly to gather your strongest students, students who are 
able to speak and share their voice. I'm the theater teacher, so I'm spoiled and I get to see and interact with students who are super talented as it pertains to vulnerability and honesty and um, you know communication. Find kids that are, 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 are solid ambassadors and can speak openly and honestly about their issues. If you've ever had a student that said to you, I went into my English class and all we read are, I don't see myself in any of the books that we're reading, Mr. Hodge. Or if you have a student that tells you that, like, that's a student you want to amplify. That's a student that you need to help and, and encourage and be like, you need to share that story at a board meeting or let people know that this is happening. So uh, that's what I would say. I know it's, it's kind of rambly, but I would say we need to spend our privilege, folks, those of you who have that. Um, spend your privilege and uh, find your people and find your anchors and you got to be willing to lose something. Um, But the fight is worth it. As John Lewis said on our shirts that we have on our back of our shirts. um, If if you see something that's not morally right, or if it's not, that's not right. You have a moral obligation uh, to do something about it. And for me, that's what I put my head in the pillow at night about going. I know at the end of the day, I'm doing the right thing. Even if that means they're going to come after my job and run me through some investigations um, and call me some names that I know are going to just bounce off me like nothing because that's not who I am. So that that's what I would say. Great. Thanks, Ben. And, and Christina, finally, um, advice to students, you know, why should they engage in this historic struggle? And, and if you have any advice for them about, you know, best practices, um, that would be great as well. Um, absolutely. Um, I say to students, you need to find your community. I think it's something that's very important. Uh, if you see something and you know it's not right, run it by a trusted parent, run it by a trusted teacher, guardian, adult, run it by your best friend, someone that you can trust, someone that you know who you know is a very logical person, run it by them and see what they say. Um, if you, you know, are fortunate enough to have, you know, a Mr. Hodge or a Ms. Jackson within your school or your community, talk to them. Hey, this is like Mr. Hodge said, you know, this is going on. I need help. The first thing to do to make change is to make noise. You need to speak up. You can't let it, you know, slide beneath the rug. You have to, you have to speak up. And if you can't find someone who can speak for you, tell them what's going on. Let them say, Hey, my friend is going through this. They need help. People will start to listen. Even if it's just one person, eventually someone was going to hear it. And that's very important to make sure that you at least get the word out there and not to expect drastic change. It, it The book ban for us back in 2021, 2022 did not get reversed in like a week. It took like a month or two for them to even respond to us and then, and then to even eventually reverse the ban. It was nothing that that it took resilience. Um, and it's very important to acknowledge, you know, your mental health is also very important. So activism burnout, something that happens, you feel the need to have to change or to speak about everything. And you're only one person. So to have a community where you can be like, hey, you know, I'm having just I need a mental health day. I need a break. I need to, you know, to talk to someone, have that community. So I say, like, it's very important to have community. And if you need someone to talk to, DM me. Like, I'm being serious because if you need someone to talk to and if you need someone to be a shoulder to cry on, to lean on, talk to people that you can trust and 
and that's very important. I know I said it like, like three times now, but it's, it's so important to have people around you. Another thing is to control the narrative, um, especially on social media. It's a great tool, but it's also a really dangerous tool. And we used it for good. We had the same message we posted every single day. There was, we did not, you know, put in our, you know, really strong opinions. It was just straight facts. This is what happened. This is what is going on. This is what we're going to do about it every single day. So you can go back to our timelines and look at what we posted. The same exact thing, same exact words. It was nothing. We did not make it too elaborate. We went, we came, we kept it simple. We kept a, a base foundation. And so there was no way for you to say that we were doing this, we were doing that because we kept it controlled. We control the narrative. And for students who maybe say, oh, well, this is happening in my district, but it doesn't really matter. It does. Because though it may not affect you, if something ever happens that you are affected by, you're going to want people to want to speak up to you. That's exactly what's happening in our district. That's exactly what happened with me growing up as a student. I wish there were people who would speak up, but I had to be the person because no one else was going to. So even if it doesn't really necessarily pertain to you, if you see your friends struggling, Go over there and help them. That is very important because community matters. So even if you say it doesn't, it doesn't really pertain to me, it doesn't matter to me, it matters to somebody who may be important to you. So therefore it matters. So I say that just keep an eye out for your fellow students, keep an eye out for your fellow community members and help each other. And, and where can people find your social media for the Panther Anti-Racist Union? So my personal handle is ChrissyMarie.22, C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-M-A-R-I-E.22. And then Peru, the main Peru uh, Instagram is C-Y-P-A-R-U. Yeah, and my my uh, Instagram is at B-H Studios. And then I'm also pretty active on Twitter at Ben Hodge Studios. And you can go to www.pantheranti-racistunion.com for more information about our story, um, as well as uh, helpful information that might help you. Christina and Ben, thanks so much for coming on to The Signal and sharing your experiences with our listeners and your organizing strategies. Um, you know, keep fighting the good fight. And, you know, we might reach a point where we might need like a statewide kind of conference about kind of fighting back against these far right groups like Moms for Liberty, um, you know, and their splinter groups like Take Back Our Schools PA, because, you know, as we can see, they're doing that as well. Um, so thanks again for coming on. And we'll be, keep, you know, the Bucks County Beacon will keep, uh, keep an eye out on what's happening in Central York. Thank you for all your support. Um, it has been much appreciated um, and much love and solidarity to all of you out there in Central Bucks, Penridge, and across the country dealing with this. You're not alone. We're stronger together. Um, we need to we need to draw a line and keep holding that line for what's right and for freedom and for justice. Exactly. I echo the word to Mr. Hodge. Um, thank you so much for having us. It was truly an honor to be able to speak on something that's very important to us. Um, and again, for everyone else who's dealing across the nation, dealing with book bans and book pushbacks from districts, from communities, from governors, um, then you know <laughs> we we stand with you, and you're not alone. Great. Thank you. This has been The Signal, a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm Cyril McLego, editor-in-chief and host. 
For more progressive news, analysis, and opinion from Bucks County and beyond, go to www.buckscountybeacon.com. The Signal is produced by Kevin Mahoney of Rating Chicken Media. Intro-outro music by Moff et Tula, featuring Cartas a Felice, used with permission. Mm-hmm.